listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Solo, a Star Wars story. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together a crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. (laughs) L3! Let's go with a mean man's face. Who are these guys? If you come with us, you're in this life for good. You might want to buckle up, baby. give you some advice. We assume everyone will betray you, and you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Push it! All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Solo, a Star Wars story, and the story is as follows. Through a series of daring escapades, young Han Solo meets his future co-pilot Chewbacca and encounters the notorious gambler Lando Calrissian. The film is starring Alden Ehrenreich, Woody Harrelson, Amelia Clark, Donald Glover, Dandy Newton, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Junas Suotamo and Paul Bettany. It is directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Oh, wait, sorry. It is directed (laughs) by Ron Howard and written by Jonathan Caston and Lawrence Caston. Joining me for this review, I have Josh Parr. Hello, hello, everyone. And Danilo Castro. How's it going, everybody? Well, you guys, you know, you just asked everyone how how's it going, and I know everyone is standing on their toes right now, biting their fingernails. They want to know what we think of a Star Wars film. Oh, I just hope you two understand that when you agreed to come on to the Next Best Picture podcast, you knew that uh, an episode like this would come where your thoughts on a movie would result in either you guys getting crucified by everyone that's listening or praised and crowd surfed by everyone that's listening. So what you say now will forever deem your future. No pressure or anything like that. But the fanboys are listening. With that said, Josh Parham, <laughs> you first. <laughs> what did you think of Solo, a Star Wars story? Oh boy, yeah, no pressure at all on this one. <laughs> no matter what you say, you're wrong. Just remember that. <laughs> that's kind of comforting in a way, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the age of the internet, so that's how it goes anyway. Uh, yeah, I didn't like Solo. I kind of thoroughly did not like this movie at all. Um, 
I thought the story was very uninteresting. I didn't really find most of the characters to be entertaining. Uh, it really was sluggish to me. There's a couple moments that are kind of fun. There, I think the Kessel Run actually is the best sequence in the movie. But overall, I just found myself kind of rolling my eyes at most of it. There's some cringeworthy moments in terms of revealing some backstory for some characters, too, that I thought was really, really poorly done. I just thoroughly did not like this movie. And I'm going to say it. Uh, this movie kind of broke me in terms of Star Wars and especially the spinoffs. I really, really did not like the movie. <sighs> All right. Moving on. Danilo. Um, I, I don't have that much negative. I mean, I don't have that much positive to add. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> to what Josh has to say. I did not like it one bit either. Um, I, oof. That's the sound of everybody just turning off the podcast, by the way. <laughs> just an FYI. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. <laughs> the, opening, the opening stretch was very painful to get through. Um, the Kessel Run did pick things up a little bit, but at that point... It was so far gone. It was just kind of running out the clock. Um, I like this l- less than I did The Last Jedi, I think. I'm not a fan of The Last Jedi either, but uh, I'm going to avoid getting too much into that opinion because I feel like that's even more polarizing. Um, yeah, no. No no for Solo. Okay. Well, I, d- I didn't think that I would be the only one on this podcast who would be Solo for Solo. Did you... <laughs> I had to do it. Had to do it. Had to sneak in one pun. Um, I think I'm more positive than both of you, actually. But yet, despite that, I'm still not totally positive. I'm stuck in the middle here because my issue with Solo, the biggest issue of all, the question I keep asking myself over and over, and it's a question I've been debating uh, with a lot of people online about, is why? Why do we need this movie? Why does any of this information that we get told, like making the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs, or how does he like get his blaster, um, how he gets his name, how he meets Lando, why is any of this important? My biggest issue with Solo, a Star Wars story, is that, to me, it doesn't reveal any new information. It reveals information that we already know. And the biggest reveal of all, which is how does this idealistic, young, upstart pilot who is in love with Amelia Clark become the DTA, don't trust anyone, you know, smuggish asshole that we meet in the original trilogy but with a heart of gold buried deep somewhere within there i didn't feel like we got that transformation and the reveal that there's going to be more sequels to this particular set of characters in this storyline left this unfulfilling for me because i i feel like i didn't even get a complete character arc when this movie was over yeah i, I would agree with that i and i also just think that the core relationship between uh, Han Solo and oh man, I can't even remember the Amelia Clark character's name. Uh, but Kira, Kira, yeah. I, I just even well, that goes to show you how much I cared. That relationship just didn't even really interest me either. Like that entire foundation just felt very surface level, and I just could not bring myself to really find any genuine emotion between their connection. And that the you know a good deal of the movie is based on that. 
I needed, and I know this would have been cheesy, I really needed a sequence showing them as kids meeting something. This movie kind of drops you, like, in the middle of young Han Solo's quote-unquote young adulthood. I I don't even know how old he's supposed to be here and, and how old he's supposed to be technically in the original trilogy and, like, how this all adds up timeline wise but i really feel like i needed to see his development into why does he love flying but like how how is it that he is such a good pilot like the movie kind of just drops us in and, and he just is he just is this great pilot you know and he says that he is and he has to prove it a couple of times but how that like to me that was more interesting um and also too like you said this relationship with kira like did they meet when they were kids or something, I, I don't know. I just feel like I needed more of that backstory to fill those uh, questions in. Because to me, believe it or not, actually, those aspects of the story were more interesting than the winks and the nods to the original trilogy. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. There were there were so many nods to the, to the old trilogy. Uh, I started, like, tallying them up, like... I was in a theater that didn't have that many people, so I would write down every time there was a line that was like very like get it, and there was way too many. Like it got to be a little grating. So that was another thing I talked about with a friend of mine when the movie was over. I said this movie doesn't stand on its own as its own individual movie with its own individual memorable sequence. And yes, some people will say the castle run, and yes, I will agree. I think it is the best sequence in the movie overall, but this movie. For me, I don't think does a good job of distinguishing itself as a standalone film. Um, I think it is too reliant on those winks and those nods to the original trilogy to be this fun, entertaining movie, which it is at times for me. Because uh, a lot of people are defending the movie saying, hey, it's just a lot of fun. You know, try not to think about it too much. It's a lot of fun. And I agree. It is fun. There were times where I was grinning, I was having a good time. Yeah, the occasional dialogue, you know, would make me wince a little bit. But on the whole, I I was having a good time. I I wasn't, like, having a miserable time. But with that said, like, all of those fun moments came because of those Easter egg moments to the original trilogy. And to me, it just, like, it was lazy and it played it safe. You know, where's my where's my daring storytelling? It, it, to me, this was like this was like somebody handing over junk food to you. Man, look at this junk food. It's so good. It's so tasty, and you want it. You want it so bad, and you crave it. But it's really bad for you. You know that 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 to me is what this felt like. Yeah, the, I mean, the whole idea behind this movie is basically that you want to watch it because it's Han Solo, because it's a character that you are familiar with but you're so right that the questions that you always thought you had about Han Solo is stuff that you don't really care about like you don't care really how he got his blaster you don't really care how he got his name which is one of the most cringe inducing moments in the entire movie like nope (laughs) oh my god it moment made me so incredibly mad right because this whole idea that he's a loner um doesn't ring true for me because his whole quest is to get back to Kira you know, so it's like, he's not really a loner. He wants to be with this girl. So I don't understand, like, how 
uh, thematically like that that ties in i i mean i get it later on because of what he becomes but even that's not true because he has chewbacca all these years as like his best friend he's never a loner in this film and we go through like multiple iterations of a crew on top of that it it, it is kind of silly when you like break down like the idea oh and, and that's another thing too um some of the new characters in this so uh, i think it was you parm that mentioned a minute ago about how um, most of the characters uh, for you did not quite work and that is true because I do think there are some characters that do work I would like to start off with uh, two in particular that really worked for me and you guys can choose to agree or disagree if you want Phoebe Waller-Bridge as L337 and Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian I thought those two stole the movie for me I would agree that they are the best ones of the bunch because uh, they're really the only ones that made a significant impact I just also felt like they were in a movie that really wasn't giving them a lot to work with. You know, they were elevating the material as much as possible, and I would have loved to have gotten more scenes with them, but they also sort of felt out of place in this movie, and it was so frustrating when I would kind of get into them, but then sort of remember the surroundings that they're in and be kind of depressed all over again because I wanted a different type of movie for them to be in. Yeah, I mean, this movie needed more... Donald Glover, in my opinion, as Lando, because every time he was on screen, he just emitted this like aura of suave and cool and charisma and really, really gave the movie the shot in the arm that I felt like it needed because, man, oh, man, the first half of this movie before we actually meet uh, Lando, I I just found it to be so sluggish and so, so tough to get through. I was just clamoring waiting for Donald Glover to come on screen to just see what he would do with his character. And he didn't disappoint me, that's for sure. And I think part of the reason for that is because the other characters that are introduced, right? We have Kira, we have Tobias Beckett, played by Woody Harrelson. Uh, We have Val Beckett, uh, played by Tandy Newton. My issue with them is, like... I, I don't sense any real definable character traits about them that make them stand out to me. You know, a common complaint about the um, prequels is that a lot of the characters are not as rich as the original characters from the uh, trilogy, from the original trilogy, because they are very thinly uh, written, um, where most of their characters are, you kind of just relate to them based on either who's playing them or what they're dressed and look like, not so much about who they are as individuals. And I got that feeling from this. Like, Woody Harrelson is Tobias Beckett. Uh, uh, Yeah, I I guess he has a a little bit more to his character, I guess, than some of the others in this. But at the end of the day, you know he's just going to be the smuggler mentor to Han, and that's all he is. Like, that. Give him like a limp. Give him a, a backstory. Um, g- like, give me something to chew on here. Make to make his character more three dimensional because he does play a pivotal role in the story. And I really did, like when the payoff came. It, like it was, it, it was, it did nothing for me. And then you know the payoff of Kira. Well, that's still going to continue in the sequels. So didn't get that either. Yeah, the the stuff with Kira, that's always just going to be dependent on how much you're into this series and where you want to see it going. But with Woody Harrelson and and Beckett, I just really thought, like, the backstory that they try to give him is so vague and generic that 
I don't know, there's just nothing that is there to really get invested in. And he really is there to just serve as this guide for Han kind of indulging in this moral gray area that we see him in. But as a character, I just sort of feel like you're watching Woody Harrelson just be kind of fun in the role and your mileage will vary on how much you just want to see that and not really a character that's interesting and contributing much to the story. Now, it's interesting, too, because (laughs) a character that's also terribly written doesn't come across as, you know, anything really memorable. But I could tell that the actor was trying was uh, Paul Bettany uh, as uh, Dryden Voss. Like, what an inconsequential villain, you know, like, but yet his scenes, though, where... He's being this practical businessman, and yet he's extremely, extremely threatening. Like, at the drop of a hat, you know that he can, you know, have all of his goons murder you. I thought Bettany played it better than what the role was giving him. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Um, I don't, or did you guys find him to be too campy? I, I don't know. I thought he was, I thought he was good. I, I can agree with you there. I think he, um, he brought kind of a, a relish to the to his scenes that kind of bumped up the excitement for a little bit. Um, towards the end, he once you know the events of the story kind of take place, he kind of loses a little bit of steam. But I would say definitely his first appearance and a couple of scenes after that, he's 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 a welcome breath of fresh air. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Paul Bettany has always been a very solid actor, and you know, a part of me wishes that we still could have seen. Um, who was it that was originally cast? Was that Michael K. Williams? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do kind of wish we could have gotten that version of that character, but as is, like, everything kind of about this movie, it's serviceable to a point. He's fine. I don't have any major complaints, but it's just sort of a generic villain role. I don't really find that he's too interesting to continually watch. I think he looked like he was having fun, so that made it a little easier for us to have fun. I don't, me personally, at least. No, yeah, I think that's I think that's the whole point, and I I also kind of got that with, like I was saying before, with Donald Glover when he came on screen as Lando. I I could tell Donald Glover was having a lot of fun with the role. The other thing too, why Lando really worked for me in this movie, is because when I watched Donald Glover give his performance. I saw a little bit of Billy D. Williams in the performance. I was thinking a lot about how he delivers his lines in the original trilogy, how he moves, his gestures, mannerisms, you know, speaking patterns, etc. I did not get that at all from Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo in this. And it was baffling to me because Harrison Ford, I feel like, has such a very... like such an easy personality to impersonate and maybe Alton just wanted to do his own thing. Maybe there was a problem with the director change. You know, there was that rumor that an acting coach was brought on board to help Alton out. I don't know what the deal is, but I was not digging this interpretation of the character. You know, I don't need an exact impersonation of Harrison Ford, and I like Alden Ehrreich in other movies. I think just the problem is that what he is being given as a character and what he's presented in this film just is not even interesting on any kind of level of being that engaging and entertaining, unfortunately. And, you know, it's hard to say 
what those variables are? Because, yeah, when you're the lead of this major blockbuster and there's a director change, that might have something to do with it. It's impossible to tell that, but all we can do is just look at the results. And, yeah, he's, he's he could be worse, but he is kind of bland in this lead and not very exciting to watch and to carry this whole movie. Yeah, there were times where, like, just, you know, certain lines that he said, I just thought to myself, that's not how... Harrison Ford would have delivered that line. You know what I mean? It, it just... And then there were times where it did. And then there were also other times, too, where for a split second, like, for a split second, I was like, man, Alden really does look like Han Solo. Um, but then there are other times where I'm looking and I'm just like, there are times where he doesn't look like Han Solo. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, no, I agree you with know. you. There are some times where he... It's like, oh, I think I just caught a glimpse of it. Um... I felt like another thing that they were kind of going for, whether intentionally or not, there were lots of sequences in the film um, where they felt they felt like they were trying to go for like a Star Lord vibe, where he's very goofy oh. and very yeah, with like his character. Yeah, which is weird because I always took Star Lord as kind of a a funny riff on the Han Solo like archetype. So it's weird to see it kind of go full circle in a way that I don't think is really flattering here. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. He, he he picks up towards the end in terms of like the skill and kind of the 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 presence you know supposedly of of the Han Solo we know but it, it seems really rushed at the end yeah uh, I, I yeah and then there's also like this reveal towards the end too with um and I'm I, I'm probably gonna say this totally wrong but like I don't even know what it was. Like, what's up with these kids? You know? Oh, yeah. I Man, like, I, I was so confused. So, so confused. And I'm sure there's somebody who's listening right now that's a bigger Star Wars fan than I am that is, you know, going to be able to reveal everything to me. The way it was presented was like it was like a big, like, aha moment. But, yeah, it was kind of like, well, who's that? So, the Cloud Riders, they're referred to, I guess, right? Is that is that what they are? I think so. I don't, I don't remember. I'm gonna be honest. I I don't remember much about them. I do remember <laughs> them showing up and thinking, "This seems like it's supposed to be important." I don't really know. But the other thing about that that kind of annoyed me was it was a moment that tried to open up this world more and kind of deliver these higher stakes. But you know, the whole thing about Solo was that he doesn't care. Like he isn't interested in. The, you know, the rebellion at first. And so to have these characters that introduce, oh, we got to really, you know, resist against the empire. It's like, well, but you, but this isn't really what's going on in this story. This shouldn't, it shouldn't be what's going on with this story. But it is right now. And we don't get, like I was saying before, that full character arc transformation into the Han that we know in the original trilogy that doesn't care. Like that doesn't, that doesn't happen in this movie. And, ugh. you know, it, it's the first time where Disney has taken the Marvel formula of, you know, setting up the next movie and put it into one of their spinoff films. And, oh, my gosh, it's it's really, really weird to me how it works in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But for here, the attempts to try and set up another adventure with Han just, it didn't ring true to me. And I, I just I walked out of theater thinking, 
yeah, that was a good time and all. Like, it wasn't objectively bad. I wouldn't say it was prequels level bad, but I'm not excited to see, you know, these characters again. They're going to have to really do something to get me really excited for the next one. Is this uh, the worst so far of the Disney Star Wars movies for you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that in in my mind you know and i wasn't even the biggest fan of rogue one but at least rogue one had a kind of identity and objective to slightly set itself apart you know this one just feels like we need an action movie with this character let's carve out a plot that isn't really that interesting but just get it out there because we need a han solo movie this this one but, feels uh, but on more... paper though the plot I could see how they thought it was a good idea. You know, let's make this heist movie, essentially, because that's what the Kessel Run is. It's basically a, a, a large heist heist in space, right? I could see how that would get, you know, executive excited, and you could do this whole lengthy sequence that could be memorable. The problem is that it's not. Um, and the other problem, too, and I didn't, I didn't even touch on this yet, Visually speaking, for me, this was a very ugly movie. And I'm a huge fan of Bradford Young and the work that he has done in his career so far. I mean, I think he's like the hottest up-and-coming cinematographer around, period. End of story. But there were times in this where the dark, murky shadows, which are part of his distinct style, did not fit within this universe for me. And it also hurt some of the larger action set pieces as well. I I just thought visually this movie was very bland. I think visually it's very inconsistent. I think there are some moments in it that are very well shot and do have some very striking imagery to it. But then other times, yeah, it does look very murky and indistinct. So I don't know. It's a very inconsistently shot film. And like you said, it's a shame because Bradford Young, we know, is very, very talented. But this one, I would not showcase as his best work, unfortunately. I like the music, though. I don't know. Uh, who did the music this time around? Uh, it was, uh, let's see here, John Powell. Yeah. I thought John Powell's score actually was pretty darn good at times. I thought it was fine. I didn't really notice it that much uh, from my perspective. <laughs> okay, that's fair. And... Did you guys feel like the movie was a bit on the longer side, or did you feel the length was just right? Um, no, I, I felt the length. I, I there were there was a moment. I think it was right after the Kessel Run where I looked at my watch and I noticed, like, oh man, there's like a half hour left of this movie still, and that's not a good sign when you're watching a film. Yeah, yeah, I felt that way too. Uh, I felt that way. I think earlier, but yeah, I, I felt the same way. Yeah, there is an issue with momentum with this film, I would say. And then the last thing I want to bring up, too, is uh, there is a big reveal towards the end of the movie, big twist. Um, I will admit, I will admit, I threw my hands up in the air, my mouth dropped open, and I screamed. And I have to say, in that moment, my my, my inner fandom peaked. You know, you know, I, I'm going through this whole movie and I'm thinking this is all fine. This is fine. But when that moment happened, I was like, oh, you know, I started going nuts. And then, you know, that for me was the one moment in the movie where 
um, as far as like nods go and trying to tie things in into the rest of the Star Wars universe, I was on board and I was like, okay, all right, here we go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't. I'm trying. I know I'm trying to dance around it right now, but did you guys have that same level of excitement or no? Um, I I I was just. I think I was just more like what. Oh, you, okay, so you were confused? Um, I I don't know. I don't know if it's the Star Wars fatigue. I don't even think that's the case because Marvel's running them out quicker than Star Wars is. It's just the, 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 the decisions they're making aren't clicking with me. And I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I wasn't a fan, I don't think. Yeah, when that moment came up, it, to me it's like, yeah, all right, yeah, as an, somebody who would be looking at this as a super fan, that would be a, a good moment. But for me, I was just sitting there thinking like, Okay, so what? You know, like you, like you said, we're trying to dance around it a bit because we don't want to spoil, but that reveal meant very little to me in the whole universe of what the movie was doing. So when it came up, it's like, okay, I, I get this is supposed to be a moment of excitement, but you've done so little to get me invested in this story that when it is revealed, it felt of very little consequence to me. It felt purely to set up something in the future. And if you don't have a great foundation in which to set up something for down the line, then I have a really, really difficult time caring about that reveal, no matter how interesting it may be about, you know, tying in other aspects to the franchise. Yeah, it didn't really affect the narrative as a whole. You're right. It was just, it was kind of really, uh, it's kind of extraneous to it. I thought it was cool. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine that you thought it was cool. And look, that is a moment that is really meant for people that love the idea of seeing these characters go on or, or just being in that world. And if, you're, if you don't have that touchstone, I just think that is a moment that is going to be lost on you. Fair enough. Um, do you guys agree with me? Once again, we're kind of like in spoiler territory here, but I, I don't want us to reveal anything for those that are listening. Do you guys agree with me that the most interesting characters in the movie actually get killed off? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yes. There were some moments like that that I was very upset with the movie. Very, very upset. And I think that also added to me just not really caring that much because every time I would get sort of invested in a particular character that I kind of liked, then something would happen and you know would really just sort of turn me off from the rest of the, of the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I I don't know if it was just cuz it came out recently so I had it kind of in my mind. I was getting kind of weird like Deadpool 2 vibes like, "Oh, I didn't expect those people to go away so soon." Um obviously in a more in a more dramatic sense, but yeah, uh, there were there were one one in particular went and I was disappointed cuz it's like, "Oh, you know, they were adding a lot." Yeah, no, yeah, you're definitely right. Uh, they were adding a lot to the story, and that, I think that was helping me to feel somewhat deflated, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, should we, shall we get to uh, final thoughts? Grade out of ten, Oscar potential. Well, I want to bring up just one more thing. Uh, sure. Oh, we did talk about the Kessel Run, which I think we all agree is the best part of the movie. Uh, what did you think of the train heist that happened earlier? Did you think that was good? I thought it was fine. I was more disappointed with, once again, tying back into another thing we were talking about, about characters meeting their untimely end. I think that moment at the end of the sequence kind of killed the whole thing for me. 
because I, it was just one of those things where I was just starting to get emotionally invested and you just took that away from me and now I feel nothing. You know, like I'm supposed to feel stakes. I'm supposed to feel sacrifice. I'm not feeling it. So that that's what killed it for me, yeah. Yeah, the, the sense of stakes I think is really what kills that. And yeah, there's well done sequences in that in that particular um, moment in the film, but yeah, you just never really feel like they're really going to truly fail. You know, the, the, the moments that the significant characters are put in danger, you know that they're just going to survive that. And the resolution well, of wait, some this other... Brings up, this brings up an interesting point, actually. You know, why do you guys think that when we see a movie where we know the outcome... All right. I, I like to always think back to 2012. I always think back to Lincoln, Zero Dark Thirty, and Argo. Three movies, same year, all of which were very highly acclaimed, loved by audiences and critics, got Oscar attention. We all went into those movies knowing how they end. And yet the movie was still able to work its magic over us. Why couldn't Solo do the same? Well, because those movies have interesting characters that you are invested in. And even though you know the end destination, you're interested in the journey to get there. Uh, Solo does nothing to really get you invested in whatever journey these characters are going through in order to get to that end point. Because it feels just kind of by the numbers. There's nothing about it that is really worth investing in to get to wherever it needs to go. And you think that it's because of how the movie starts, like where we actually start off meeting the character Han at this point in his life? Like, like it kind of just drops you in, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of that. and But then it just doesn't really seem to want to give too much more after that either. It just sort of goes through the motions to me and never presents anything that is interesting or kind of divergent from what we would normally expect to see in this type of movie. Do, do I have any uh, Game of Thrones fans with me right now? Oh, yeah, I watch Game of Thrones. All right. Do you remember there's a character in an episode called Hard Home? Her name was Carsey, and she had less than five minutes of screen time in a single episode and we were able to care about this character get a full idea of who this character was and there were like real emotional stakes for that character you do you remember this yeah yeah i know exactly who you're talking about and yeah okay. it's <laughs> like if if the television because sh- the television show people will say well they have multiple episodes to set up character arcs and storylines get you invested in the story and so on and so forth that is an example of a character that was introduced in one episode has less than five minutes of screen time everybody cared about that character why is that so hard to do in a two hour and fifteen minute movie with all of these big stars who we all really really enjoy watching on screen playing these characters I don't understand how difficult it can be. Just a set of priorities, I guess. I I don't know. It was, it, but it is interesting that one character in a TV show that's on screen for like five ten minutes has more of an emotional impact than the majority of the people in this, you know, like two hour and fifteen minute movie. Well, but I will say though, I I did have a connection to L three Lando's droid companion who also did prove that the pansexual comments that we're following um, <laughs> Donald Glover and Lando Calrissian were actually true and not just in, you know, because I remember reading those and thinking they're, they're saying this after the fact, like this is a whole Dumble, 
Dumbledore's gay situation. They're just trying to appease people. Like, I was like, ugh. But then when I actually saw the movie, I was like, oh, no. Oh, Lando will fuck anything. No, <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, okay. Now, now that being said, did that add a tremendous amount to his character? I, I would say that was, I, I walked away, you know, like, oh, that was interesting. But I can't say that was like, man, that was so great what they did with Lando's character. I think it added a lot to L3's character. I, yeah, I will agree it added something to her. And I do think that, you know, it helped a lot with our emotional ties to that character. In a way, yeah. I would also say that there is something else that happens with that character that also feels like a bit of a setup for something later that I thought was going to be in the movie, but they just yeah. sort of do it, and then it's like, oh, oh okay, I, I don't really understand. <laughs> You're right. I forgot about that. That was an interesting choice, too. Um, something I wanted to kind of double back on, they do it really early on in the film, and then it's something they kind of come back to. The, the dice? Yeah. They make a very, very um, bold you know, just consistent point of highlighting the dice uh, that we see in The Last Jedi. And it felt uh, retroactively kind of forced to me, like because it, the dice are so not uh, important in the original trilogy. It's like, well, we have to build up its importance so that it does pay off more emotionally in The Last Jedi. And that felt kind of like you were tinkering to sort of improve elsewhere. And I, I didn't like how that came off. They, they focused on it way too much for me. You know what would have helped me a lot with this movie? Hmm. I mean, like, a super, super lot. Mm. What? The completion of Han's arc. Yeah. Just, like, all this stuff, all this stuff that you're talking about, like the dice and everything, mm -hmm. would resonate so much more if they would have just broken Han's heart, left him as this heartbroken, lonely, because like you said, he's never lonely in this movie. Never. Man who is angry and bitter and i did not get that instead i got like this hopeful ending that okay you know shrug well that's because they're you know investing in future movies with this character it's so obvious that they are <laughs> <working on sequels>. <laughs> god <sighs> there are times where that works and then there are times where it doesn't and this was one of those situations where I really, really, really needed this movie to stand on its own for me to appreciate it more. And instead, it acts as setup for another movie which promises, I guess, to be a darker entry because they assume that that's exactly what we probably want in order to raise the stakes, you know, with this story and this universe. And maybe then we'll get the payoff, you know, that we're hoping for. But probably not, because there's probably going to be a third film, because business just needs to keep on rolling. Star Wars is, they're developing a bad habit. It's, they're developing, like, the Empire habit with every trilogy they do. The second one's going to be much darker. It's like, we you could just give us a, a, something that suits the character out the gate. Like, we didn't have to wait on the darkness for the second installment of this. It would have been nice to see, like you said, Solo kind of deal with you know, a little more rejection, a little more uh, loss here, but it, the stakes never feel that high, and he's never seen, he never seems that jaded or any of that. Nothing comes through. Yeah. Last thing I want to just touch upon here, and this is going to be part of my final thoughts here. We can lead this into uh, your final thoughts as well. There's a, a bigger thing that is happening with the spinoff films that ties into the original trilogy, and that is 
with every reveal that we get shown on screen, um, seeing the Kessel run, explaining how he gets to dice, the blaster, and all of that, right? His name, et cetera, et cetera. Seeing Rogue One play out as it does and showing how they got the Death Star plans. Even the prequels, okay, are victims of this and showing the backstory of Anakin Skywalker. The original trilogy, the trilogy that started all of this, the ones that everybody loves and will forever fall back on, the ones that we will show our children and their children will show their children, the mysticism, the imagination, the sense of wonder when these throwaway lines of how, you know, he made the uh, Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs or Obi-Wan talking about how Anakin was a good friend. These lines where before any of these other movies existed, we had to use our imaginations to fill in the blanks and we had to construct our own idea of how big and vast this world is. The world seems like it's getting smaller and those moments are losing their impact and their power on people because now they can just easily go see these movies and fill in those blanks for themselves and the results of which may or may not be fulfilling for people. I think it's actually unintentionally hurting the original trilogy. Yeah, I mean, especially whenever you keep going back to the well over and over again, it does sort of dilute it a little bit. You know, the original trilogy, you had to wait three years for another movie, and now we're in the habit where these films are coming out every year. And it that in and of itself is sort of losing a little bit of the magic to it. And also just kind of feeling like these movies have now become very corporatized, even more so than they used to be. So yeah, I, I agree that I, the magic of these movies is kind of wearing off now. Um, I also think the fact... Uh, that it foreshadows so heavily and is so blatant about like you know Woody Harrelson's character tells Han Solo you, do you have any idea what it's like to live with a price on your head like it, it it foreshadows so heavily and so consistently to an extent that I don't even think the prequels did and so I feel like that that thing you're talking about that's hindering the original trilogy is is getting worse <sighs> okay those are my final thoughts do you guys have any final thoughts Oh, man, this movie just was not very interesting to me. I feel kind of bad because I wish we had a Star Wars fan and there was somebody that liked this movie on this this podcast today. But, yeah, I just found it to be not good. Not good at all, really. Danilo? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed myself less than I thought I was even going to, and that's walking into the theater with pretty low expectations so i'm i'm not uh i'm not encouraged about the future of star wars which is a bummer because i love the original movie so much so yeah honestly i think after episode nine i might bail i don't think if this is the future of especially these spinoffs i don't really think i can invest myself that much because they're just not interesting if this is going to be the future yeah if i mean if they can't pull off a solo film what the hell is going to what the hell's a boba fett movie going to be yeah, exactly how compelling is it going to be so yeah i'm going to see episode 9 i want to see how this resolves but uh yeah they, they might stop getting my money for for movie tickets do we know what the next movie is after episode 9 cuz we know that's coming out 
next year. Yeah. I don't know, because they just announced that James Mangold is attached to Boba Fett, but then they've also been talking about the Obi-Wan film, but I don't know if there's any concrete release dates or... or... See, now, that's the movie I need to see, by the way. I need to see the Obi-Wan movie. You know why? Because there's nothing in the original trilogy that they can really fall back on in A New Hope to fill in those gaps between episode three and four. It, It could be all original new material, and it puts the character in such an interesting place where he's broken, he failed, the Jedi are no more. That's a movie I want to see. That's interesting. It sounds great on paper, but like you said, like this film, a heist, the Kessel Run, I don't, I'm worried about their ability to execute stories that should be good. So, I mean, fingers crossed if they, if they end up going through with it. Mm. <sighs> okay. I definitely feel like this is such a downer of a review <laughs> that I'm going to make you guys do something. Okay. And you have to do it. You have to try for our fans. Yes, I am pulling the fan card. Josh Parm, you first. Best Chewbacca impression. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Oh, that was pretty good. There you go. Um, (laughs) can we can we talk about the scene where Han does that? Oh, um, oh my God! Oh Jesus! So terrible! Wait, wait! I actually like that. I, I I actually kind of enjoyed that. I couldn't. I couldn't. And they subtitled it. Oh God. Oh, okay, man. I, I I got a kick out of that. I thought it was funny. I thought it was a unique way for Chewbacca to not maul Han. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I get it. Like, obviously, Chewie understands English. Is it just because he was able to speak Wookie that he gets a pass? I, I think it definitely surprised him. And uh, oh, wait a minute. Now you're making me question it. Oh God. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think a better way that that scene could have played out is if. You didn't have subtitles, but Han just spoke a little bit of the language to just get a sense that he understood, and then just sort of visually showed them kind of working out the plan a bit. That might have been a little better because they, yeah, they subtitle it because they try to get like a like a joke in there that he's not very good at it. But how do, it's not enough for me to to have subtitled Wookie speak. That just seems sacrilegious. We haven't subtitled him in how many movies? Like I don't know. Not to mention too, it's another one of those things where. How does Han know how to speak it? Yeah. We don't know because we're dropped in into the middle of his life. And how does he know how to say Chewbacca if he just hears Chewbacca make a sound that represents the word Chewbacca? I don't know. I'm putting too much logic into it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that scene. And you've just made me actually hate that scene now. Oh, I'm sorry. God. Not my intention. <laughs> the shower scene definitely uh, oh, kind of raises was... it up a notch at least. <laughs> that the, was, the bromance that, was that we never knew we wanted. all right great out of 10 josh you first i think i'm going to settle on four out of ten um if it were not for the kessel run that would be even lower but i will admit that the kessel run i thought was a legitimately enjoyable sequence and it brought enough of at least in that moment for me to get kind of invested. But as soon as it, as soon as it was over, everything else about the movie just immediately made me feel 
just so so down and just wanting to kind of escape. Okay. Danilo. It's a four for me as well. Um, I feel like I'm copying Josh, but yeah, it, it the the Kessel Run was cool. There was even a couple funny jokes in that in that sequence that that landed. Um, other than that, I I do not plan on revisiting this film. And for me, it's a five out of ten. I'm a little bit more positive, but just barely. The more I think about it, probably the less positive I am. But I do have to give um, some leeway here to those who walked out of this and they loved it. They absolutely loved it. You know why? It's pure fan service through and through. And you could try to argue with me that it's not. And you could be that Star Wars stan and try to tell me that, you know, this is hearkening back to the original trilogy and just a sense of fun and wonder and so on and so forth. Okay, sure, (laughs) you know, I'm not going to argue with you on that, you know, I I don't think you're wrong, but I think to overlook some of the flaws that we have pointed out in this podcast, I think is just being a bit ignorant, so. Yeah, and I I will just say that if you did like this movie, that's perfectly fine, you know, I hope people who watch it do very much enjoy it, it's just that for me, there was very little that I could get invested in, very little that I found myself entertained by. But, you know, if you're somebody out there that loves this world and these characters, then all the best to you. But for me, it just did not work. Do you guys want sequels? No. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> I'm just just making sure I wasn't the only one. I, yeah. I don't even want Star Wars films right now. I need a break. Yeah. Like after episode nine, I need them to take off just for one year. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Seriously. Okay. Oscar potential. Any? Anywhere at all? I mean, maybe some of the effects work could, you know, the really? Star Wars tends to be I didn't find the effects to be memorable at all. Well, they don't have to be memorable. All they have to be is just done by ILM. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, but there was nothing in this. Like, there was no CGI Tarkin. There was... It wasn't even, like, bombastic in its effects like, you know, the other... Uh, Skywalker films are uh, I, you know what was what was really striking to me were um, the, the the makeup the costumes the set design the, the more practical elements yeah yeah those were although they all they also felt a little under serviced in this film too I you know what and, and when you say that I can't help but just go back to the cinematography again and maybe just the way they're photographed you know what I mean yeah, especially in the beginning where there's like this big worm thing that they're talking to, which looked like a really interesting kind of puppet that they were working with, but it's like I could barely see it. It was kind of disappointing. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're all a no on Oscar potential here. I don't think so. I think I think if it gets anything like like Josh said, it's going to be in the technical departments, but it's more of just like you know, it's a Star Wars film. We have to but I don't think it's necessarily deserving of nominations on its own. Okay. And just out of curiosity too, um, before we get out of here, uh, Josh, where does this rank for you? Like, can you give us like your, your star Wars ranking? Well, well, keep in mind, this would be a ranking from somebody who doesn't consider star Wars to be like the epitome of their childhood. So keep that in mind. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, I think I would rank it like, right above maybe revenge of the sith 
which if everybody considers to be the best of the prequels, that means I would consider this to be just maybe one cut above prequel territory and then maybe just a little bit underneath um, Rogue One. Okay. All right. That, that sounds fair. What's your favorite Star Wars film? Uh, Empire. And, and your least favorite? Probably. Oh, that had to be Attack of the Clones. That is like unwatchable. All right. Danilo? Um, for me, this place is... Oh, this place is behind The Last Jedi, um, and it's still it's still kind of by default ahead of the prequels for me. Okay. Where's Rogue One fall on that list for you? Right above The Last Jedi? Probably right above The Last Jedi, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, like, I would probably, I would say Force Awakens is probably my favorite Star Wars film of all time. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, wow. yeah. Then Empire Strikes Back, then A New Hope, um, then Return of the Jedi. No, no, no. Then, then, then The Last Jedi, then Return of the Jedi. Uh, then I would say this is where it gets a little murky. I would probably say Rogue One. You know what? I'm I'm gonna say Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, and then Solo. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can't complain too much about that choice. <laughs> yeah, and then Phantom Menace and then Attack of the Clones. Man, I can't believe I just did that. But I don't know. At least Revenge of the Sith had a lot of good payoff, you know, for some of those storylines and had more memorable sequences in it that I actually, you know, that actually yeah. resonated with me more than this movie did. Yeah. So More memorable. Yeah. <sighs> Anakin's dialogue. <laughs> Don't make me kill you. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that's what you get with George Lucas writing. <laughs> if nothing else, those prequels have given us a lot of great quotables and, like, memes and, you know. Oh, Thanks, George. Prequel memes on Reddit. I hear you guys <laughs> right now. Okay, let's get out of here. Josh, where can I find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And how about you, Danilo? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Danilo S. Castro. And please tell me, if you'd like to, why what you dug about Solo. Because I do, I do want to like it more than I do. So Yeah, you know what? I'm going to actually put a call out there as well. Um, I, I urge people, after they listen to this, if they want to comment um, either on the site, on our Twitter, on SoundCloud, I, I don't care where um, – just don't take it in the iTunes section uh, for reviews, please. Don't give us like a one-star review because of this. <laughs> but <laughs> if they want to comment somewhere and they want to tell us, you know, they want to argue our points and they want to tell us, you know, maybe why we should reconsider this, give it another look. Um, I'm, I'm open to it because to your point, Danilo, I want to love Star Wars. Yeah. I want to love Star Wars because I love Star Wars as a kid and I want to love Star Wars because I know it ain't going anywhere. Yep. <laughs> Might as well, you know, join them if you can't beat them. Exactly. You can find me at Next Best Picture and you can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us that review on iTunes. You know, positive. Nothing but positivity. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing less than five stars is, is acceptable. But if you're going to leave us something less than five stars, uh, you know, by all means, tell us what we could do better with the show. We'd really, really appreciate it. We also have a Patreon page, which you can subscribe to for more exclusive podcasting content that is not available to necessarily everyone. But for $1 at minimum a month, you can get all of that exclusive podcast content. And as always, we will see you all 
next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.